What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Before we get started, I would love to have you guys in Birth Story Academy. It is premier childbirth education for your hospital birth, no matter what the birth looks like that you're planning. So medicated, unmedicated, a wait and see attitude, a belly birth, an induction, there is a module for all of it. And I have a blank name tag at your seat waiting to put your name on it. And the best part about Birth Story Academy is that I get to be your virtual doula. You go into my private Facebook group where I interact with you every single week and cheer you on as you plan and prepare for the birth that you want, no matter what that looks like. So I hope you will go to birthstory.com and enroll in Birth Story Academy today. You get pregnant, Amy Kate, right? Like, How's your pregnancy go? How are you feeling? Steph, really? what, how are you feeling? Like, well, how, was, how was the pregnancy? Mm, pretty good. Well, I mean, we probably, <laughs> probably a little worse for you than most for me. Um, but I, for me, it was, I, I thought it was fun and you looked beautiful, all pregnant in a glow and, um, but also scary for me, like as the month started ticking down closer mm-hmm. to the delivery date, I was like, oh my God, what did we do? Should we be doing this? I started like freaking out about becoming a parent, like, but we have such a nice, easy life right now and we can yeah. go to like brunches and travel. And so, but then all that switched the second that I saw Irie. So, yeah. So the pregnancy itself physically was very routine and Steph was really excited at first, but there was a tough period. Um, like I would say right around entering the second trimester, the Mm. end of the first trimester, second trimester where Steph checked out a little bit and I felt really alone, like, and it was her going through emotional things, like just all kinds of things, like anxiety and questions about what we've done, like fear about not connecting with the baby because she wasn't genetically related, which I know is super common among non-bio parents a lot of times. So while she was kind of going through that journey, she was like, not as in engaged with what was happening. And I felt like alone. And that was really, really hard for a few months. But, um, by the time we went on our baby moon, I think, which I was about six and a half, almost going on seven months, I think that's where she really reconnected with it. And also subsequently Mm -hmm. where my pregnancy took a very hard turn physically and, um, on the flight to Hawaii, my legs and feet swelled up like super, super bad and just never came down. So the last few months of my pregnancy, that was the hardest part was just the swelling. I was so uncomfortable. 
And then I was just ready to be done with it. Okay. Now, <laughs> Steph, we were, were you verbalizing to to Amy Kate, like how you were feeling or were you just like checked out and going through all this kind of like internally, you didn't even know what you were feeling? Um, I think a little bit of both. Like I'm, when I have, have like something going on, I'm very like openly emotional when it's happy stuff, but when it's things that are like more like, you know, more like darker in nature or negative in nature, I like tend to like bottle that all up inside, um, and kind of just emotionally like shut down, um, and close off. And she knows when I get in that type of headspace, cause it's like the way we interact changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no way that she's not going to pull that out of me with the nature of her personality being like, something's going on, like we're going to talk. Um, so, so we talked about it, but it's, it was just a lot of different feelings when you're not the, the bio parent being like, you know, am I going to connect with this child? Is this child going to connect with me? Are we going to have like, are their relationship going to be like, like the actual parent child relationship? And I'm just like some bystander, like, so you go through all sorts of thoughts and, and I have also like lost my father And so I was having a lot of thoughts and feelings about um, him not being in her life and like not being there to, you know, for her to have her grandfather and that sort of thing. And then I started thinking all sorts of things about my own parents and all that stuff. So it just uh, unpacked like a lot of feelings that I wasn't really, I don't know, I knew like some of that would happen, but. I started reading books and things like non-parent bio books that I thought were um, helpful. I joined like Facebook groups to talk to other people that were feeling the same thing. So that was really, um, that helped with like the kind of processing all of that. Did you find in those support groups and books and stuff that the things that you were experiencing were pretty typical of the non-bio parents? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I want- our friend, our mutual friend, Steph's best friend had kind of- alluded to that as well. I mean, she had to go on kind of like anxiety medication just during her wife's pregnancy for dealing with some of the same. Hers were so intense. Those feelings were so intense for her. So we had known about her experience and I think that helped us. Yeah, we would text back and identify forth. really quickly what was happening, you know, and then it was kind of normal. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel good. I want the audience to hear that. And again, if anybody's listening to this, that's kind of about to go on the journey that you guys have been on that like, we don't need to have shame at all for when we, for our emotions and our feelings and like we need space and room to feel them and to, uh, to activate them even with our partners so that we can work through them. So I want to like say that again and again, how normal that is, even if heteronormative couples too, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it's pretty normal for, for the non-caring parent to, to be having some, Sometimes, let's just call it that. Yeah, like some big feelings. Some just big feelings and times like, you know, Xanax is probably and some Zoloft is given out quite often in that little mm. period. Um, on that note, when did you feel like a parent, Steph? Um, the second, like, Irie came out in the, okay. in the hospital. Um, yeah, they, they basically, as soon as she came out, snipped a little thing and then or they put her on your chest and all that. And, but then I had to take her shortly thereafter because they, there were some issues going on with Amy in the, um, like kind of delivery post, um, I think it's called stage four. Yeah. I just had issues delivering the placenta. Yes. And so I, they needed to give the baby to Steph. 
Yeah. yeah. And we did like the skin to skin thing. And I was just looking down at her and fell like instantly madly in love um, and felt like a parent. So. Okay. So that was kind of your full circle moment of like a lot of that just washed away when she was actually here. Yep. Yeah, I think, and um, Amy Kate, I'm going to ask you this question too, but I, w- I was just going to share, I think a lot of times for the caring parent, a lot of that happens like, and then we start feeling the, the baby move inside of us and it's, it's a reassurance. Like every kick is like, oh, I'm okay. And the anxiety kind of goes down, you know? Um, but Amy Kate, when did you feel like a parent? To be really honest, it took time till after Irie was born. Like I, I heard a lot of people say like, not every mother, like just is awash with this feeling of being so in love with their baby. And like, I didn't, I can't think I was in the middle. Like I, I loved her so much, but I don't think I really started feeling like what I guess I thought I was supposed to feel like as a mom until a, a couple of months in, because we had just so many issues with her just like eating and everything like that. And I was trying to breastfeed and it wasn't working. There was just so much frustration and difficulty that it was hard for me. I think to, to fall head over heels in love, I was too distracted by this, like everything that was what it was becoming a parent. Um, and so it was a little bit later for me, but I mean, obviously when they gave her to me in the hospital, I mean, I was still obsessed with her and just loving her, but it's been a journey for me, which is interesting as a gestational carrier, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's not what everyone thinks it's not always you know yeah what, what you read chemicals and hormones are kind of fucked up things that do weird things to our brain too yeah you know yeah so yeah. there's that okay so I know I know that you hired a doula because you hired my work wife Colin yes. <laughs> and so what brought you to the decision to have a doula so Steph had never heard of anything like a doula. So this was really driven by me. Um, I just, when it comes to birth, I'm like kind of crunchy about the whole thing. And I, um, I was born at a birth birth center in 1981. Um, one of my sisters was born at home. Um, so my mom has been like through chose every kind of path for birth. And I just grew up with a very natural sense around birth and had been there for, I'd been present at many births, um, my siblings and growing up with friends, I had been birth partners to a lot of my friends. And so I just was not afraid of the experience. I knew exactly what I wanted. And I knew that doulas were super valuable, just resources, you know, from an emotional standpoint, from an informational standpoint. And just, I didn't have any doubt as soon as I got pregnant, I knew I wanted to have a birth. Now, what type of birth were you visioning compared to what birth you had. And the number one question I always ask is how do you know you're in labor? But spoiler alert, y'all, Colin, my work wife was their doula. So like, I know that there wasn't like the spontaneous, there was a lot going on. So can you kind of walk us through what was it? The end of July, right? It was like, I'm kind of remembering it was like the end of July and you're like swelling and all the things. So I'm going to stop talking. And I want you to just basically tell me your birth story. Like, 
what okay. happened going in. Yeah. Tell me your birth story. So I'm going to start with just like quickly that I wanted a home birth water birth and Stephanie was super uncomfortable. We have very different experiences with birth growing up and she just wasn't really comfortable with it. So, um, in interviewing doulas, Colin was the first doula to say like, but wait a second. I think like, I kind of specialize in this unmedicated, like hospital birth. I know a place that you can go and have a birth. That's very, has a lot of the same kind of care that you might have at home a lot of low intervention. Um, and you can still do that in a hospital. I just want to put it out there for you to consider if you kind of want to meet in the middle with Steph. And so that was the reason I hired her. And also because she's just awesome. But, um, so that's how we got on the path to hospital versus birth versus home birth. But the whole time I was like low intervention, no intervention style. So, um, because I'm, I was 39 at the time in an IVF pregnancy, they had told me that they really didn't want me to go past 39 weeks. So already I'm looking at like an intervention that is a little bit unavoidable, but in all fairness and transparency, by the time I got to where I was in my pregnancy, I was like, take this kid out. <laughs> like, uh, that intervention, I wasn't as afraid of at that time. Um, I did not want to be induced, but I did want to get the baby out. So anyway, um, I did have an induction scheduled for 39 weeks and an, uh, a 38 week appointment, um, um, I had a visit with a midwife and, um, my bro- blood pressure was really high and my mom had already come into town in, pr- in preparation for the birth, but I was, and she was with me at that appointment Steph stayed home. So my mom could go and we're there and she's like, okay, so, um, your blood pressure is pretty high. And I'm like, yeah, you know, no big deal. Cause it's always high. Like side note, it's always high. And so she's like, okay, so the thing is, I'm going to need you to go to the hospital. And I was like, what? (laughs) And she's like, yeah, I'm going to need you to call Stephanie and tell her that we're going to go to the hospital now. And then I was just like, it was weird because I wanted so bad to have the baby, but I I started crying immediately, which kind of I shocked myself, but I was so overwhelmed with what she was saying. And so I call Steph and I tell her, and I'm on the phone with Colin and I'm like, this is happening. Like I have to go. And the midwife did agree to let me like go home and get some things. And then I could go within two hours or whatever. And so while I'm calling all these people and like panicking and freaking out, well, she comes back 20 minutes later and it's like, okay, so this is the first time I've seen her by the way, because I'm part of, I was part of a midwife group. So I had seen a lot of the midwives in my group at this point, but I hadn't seen her yet. So Um, she was like, I didn't realize that your blood pressure is always a bit elevated. And in my chart, I was like non-hypertensive or not preeclamptic. I was just high. And so she didn't know that that was normal. So then she's like, "Never mind. Like this is high, but it looks like it's kind of normal for you. So we're gonna hold off. Um, but I'm gonna bump your induction up a couple of days. So then um, I think I was supposed to be induced on uh, that coming Sunday, and she had bumped it up to Friday or something. Well then also, so then we're just kind of sitting and we're knowing like, okay, we've got a couple of days left now to prepare for induction. It's a little bit less overwhelming and starting to get excited. And then the Novant starts the hospital and then the hospital starts calling and saying, we don't have a bed. I'm sorry. We can't take you for your induction. We'll call you when you're ready. Just we're, we're ready. Just sit tight. And the day started ticking by and ticking by and ticking by and ticking by and past 39 weeks. And, um, I was on like nine days, I think went by past my scheduled induction, my original scheduled induction, and they just didn't have a bed. And then, um, in the meantime, we had bought an at-home blood pressure monitor and I was monitoring it. And so at 40 weeks, exactly on Sunday at 40 weeks, I took my blood pressure at home and it was like 151 over 
110 or something crazy. It was crazy. And so they were, so then Colin was finally like, okay, I think you should probably go in at this point. And so I did, and they admitted me and that started a four day induction, but it's still, everybody was so kind about my wishes, like low intervention. So we didn't just go and crank up Pitocin. Like we started with the Foley bulb, I think it is Mm -hmm. at the hospital. And, um, those contractions, those were honestly the most intense contractions I had the whole time. They, I like, I was like this baby, if this, if this keeps going at this rate, the baby is coming in like two hours. Like it was horrible. Um, but they started overnight to kind of dwindle a little bit. So that night overnight, they, I agreed to let them put me on Pitocin and everybody again was like really kind and understanding. That's what I didn't want, but like explaining to me why it might be like, why it was kind of why they thought it was a good idea and how I could start in very low increments and et cetera, et cetera. And so I agreed to that. Pitocin worked. And and so my contractions would start going, going. And then right when they would get like pretty painful and I was at like a level 16 or something like that, the contractions would start to go down again. So I, in all of this, I wasn't getting an epidural. I was like, I'm drawing the line. I want to do this. Like if I have to have Pitocin, that's fine. But like, I'm going to still try to do this, like without an epidural, I want to try to do it. And was your blood pressure controlled? Huh? Was your blood pressure controlled? Yeah. So when I got to the hospital, they gave me something to bring my blood pressure down. They gave me a little while for it to come down on its own and it wouldn't. So I agreed to that. Okay. It's like usually this drug procardia, like labetalol, like it's just like a beta blocker that brings your, but they didn't have you on a continuous and drip of like magnesium. It was just like a one dose swallow. Yep swallow it. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, whatever they gave me worked. And okay. so my blood pressure was under control. And so at that point we we're just trying to get the baby out and, um, <laughs> to make the short story, the long story short, um, I was on Pitocin for two and a half, almost three days. And, and my body kept reaching a certain point and then the contractions would start to die down again, even with Pitocin maxed. And the pain was uh, just enough that like, I couldn't sleep. Like it was bearable. That's how we knew it wasn't working. I kept like calling Colin being like, I'm on a 20 of Pitocin right now. And I'm talking to you. Like, I'm fine. You know what I mean? Like I'm breathing through my contractions, but I'm not dying. And And she was like, this doesn't make any sense. So, but I just, so then they would take me off of it and to like, let my body reset and then put me back on it. And it happened again. So by like Tuesday night, so this started on Sunday night by Tuesday night, I finally agreed to an epidural because I was exhausted. Like, like I said, the contractions were just bad enough that I couldn't like rest or sleep through them. Mm -hmm. And I'm on like day three of like six hours of sleep and just contracting and laboring. And I was like, I can't do this. It's like, you know, I always tell everybody, you're probably not going to get an epidural for the pain. You're probably going to get an epidural because you're so tired that you're like, I can handle the contraction. I can't handle not sleeping for another night in a row. It really could. It was that I was starting to get worried that if I kept going, like things would eventually progress. But I'm like, how am I going to have the energy to push a baby out on day four of no, of no sleeping? Like, I just felt like this was impossible. I was going to end up with a baby stuck or something. (laughs) So I finally, and I, and, and I was hungry and I was like, okay, so I, I agreed. I'm like, if I get an epidural, like I'll agree to the epidural, but I want to stop the Pitocin and can I eat and can I take a shower, like have a full meal and take a shower. And they were like, yes. And then they're like, then we're going to give you the epidural and an Ambien and you're going to go to sleep. And I was like, cool. And I did that. And it was fabulous. Um, but then they restarted Pitocin. 
Yeah. Okay. Oh, wait, no, they gave me the bulb again, right? Uh, At yeah. Some, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So no, they didn't. They decided to do they took the, you off. Yeah. They took they me off of it and they put the Foley bowl back in for that night that I was going to sleep. Okay. Like, so that I wouldn't have that pain because I had the epidural, but they were trying to still get me to dilate and get, cause I wasn't progressing at that point. I was like a four, a three or a four. So I slept, they put the bulb in and they came back in and they checked me. And I was still only five and they just couldn't get me past five. Like all day. I think this is part of where you were there. And I think Sabrina at this point, I was just stuck at a five. Yeah. And, um, we, so at this point so, to the audience, yeah, you know, you're on like day four of your induction or whatever. And, you know, Colin's c- coming back and forth and other people are going into labor, you know, cause multiple yes. days of labor. <laughs> right. And so like, Not you know, four days. the whole team came in, you know, so our other partner, yeah. Sabrina did a little, I mean, I was there for a couple mm-hmm. hours, you know, we were all just kind of yeah. doing everything we could to take care of you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then so I was right on the verge of a C-section. Basically the midwife came in and said, like, we have done everything we can do. Like, I know this isn't what you want, but you're not, I can't, we, you can't deliver through a five <laughs> cervix. So like <laughs> we gotta, you know, and she said, I'm going to give you two hours, um, to, to progress. And then we're going to have to make a decision. And I was like, okay. And, and luckily for me, um, she was with someone who was pushing and she got really pulled away and couldn't come back for four hours. And in that time, I think it was Sabrina with me. I think you were there for part of the first half of that. And then Sabrina, and she just labored me down and just, we just stuck with it. And I remember the pain was pretty intense. I was definitely in transition, you know, like the, the transition things were happening. It was super intense and fine. And, and finally she came back in and, and checked me and everybody I think was on eggshells of like, where am I? And you were like, no, you have to be there. You have look at you. Like you're, you're fully transitioning. So she, um, she checked me and I was nine centimeters. And I just remember like bursting into tears because I knew that after all of that effort, I was going to be able to deliver her. So it was amazing. That was like the most amazing feeling. And then for delivery, I just like, I also didn't want to deliver on my back, push on my back because of all these things I had heard. So I was like really adamant about like, it's not natural. It's not cool. Like don't put, and then I was like, I don't want to do that. And everybody was like, it really like, seems like right now, like things are going really well and you're in that position. So like, why don't we just try it a little bit? And if it's not working and you're feeling uncomfortable, we'll switch. And I was like, fine. And she came out in like nine pushes (laughs) and I felt almost nothing. My epidural had worn off too, by the way. Um, that's another story, but, um, so I just pushed her out. She just came flying out and it was like really nice until I couldn't deliver the placenta. And that got scary for a minute. They they had to take the baby off me. And, you know, they were doing that thing with the fists on the, you know, on, on my belly. Bundle it massage. Like, it's awful. Oh, it was it's the worst awful. part of the whole thing by far. Like it was the most painful part. Um, and they were calling in backup OBs and stuff. It got pretty scary. Um, and then like, right when it was about to get real bad, I guess they were able to get it out. Um, yeah. and then everything kind of calmed back down and did and you hemorrhage? I was starting to hemorrhage because okay. they couldn't get the placenta to, to liver and had something to do. I also had velamentous cord insertion okay. and it had something okay. to do with that, um, okay. uh, for some reason. So, um, yeah, so I was bleeding a lot and Steph was freaking out a little bit about the blood and, and they were all freaking out a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. They got it under control. It was so, and you got three doulas for the price of one. 
Oh, and that was really, truly amazing because I really got to see and experience each person's kind of unique approach and gifts and, and they are so different and all so wonderful. And it was really cool to have a little bit of everybody and everything along the way. And it's such a magical part of my journey that I, that I got that. I think I'm lucky, you know, really lucky. Do you regret anything? Like, would you do anything different? Yeah, I would have started reporting my blood pressures earlier, so I could have got in earlier. <laughs> no, no, that's no. She needed to cook her time, but um, uh, I wish I didn't have have all those delays with getting in. Um, it was really frustrating emotionally. It was really difficult to go through that kind of unknowing and waiting every day. Um, but I don't think I would do much of anything anything differently. I mean, I still want a home birth, but for the next one, I'll be you know forty one or two, and it's probably not going to happen, but, um, well, you weren't going to have that baby until a 41 plus weeks gestation. Yeah. Like if it took to 40 and four with all those interventions, like you were going to 41. I I don't know if your blood pressure was going to want you to go to 41 weeks, but you were going to 41 weeks. Yeah. I mean, and 41 and one is the average gestation for a first time birthing person. Mm -hmm. So you were kind of (laughs) trending towards that average gestation. Um, Steph, what was labor like for you? Like, you know, all these things are, you're watching Amy Kate go through it, but I mean, like, what was that experience like for you for four days? Um, so I'm no stranger to being in a hospital. So I feel actually quite comfortable. I basically grew up in hospital having a, a parent with like chronic cancer on and off. Um, so that I'm actually quite like, cause I know some people like get squirmish and freaked out in the hospital, but I'm like, so used to it. Um, that was all good. I think for me, like I just tried to be as supportive as possible, um, with her. And I knew that she really wanted like Burger King <laughs> at her bedside yeah. when the baby came out. So that was like, make note of that. Like that it's I was embarrassing. like, oh, Hey, it's the truth. So that was her present. Um, <laughs> I'm going to bring you like the Big Mac crown the next time I see you. This is awesome. Um, So I was like, all right, make sure um, you, you have that there. Um, But I think for me, the, I felt bad that I couldn't take on like some little load and like help you out with all these things in like with the pain and like take that away. Like the first night we were there on Sunday night and they put the Foley bulb in her eyes started rolling back in her head like the exorcist. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I've never seen her in that amount of pain. She's usually pretty stoic when it comes to things. Um, you know, chop off half a thumb and you're like, I'm fine. I just, uh, just need a band-aid. Um, so that was scary to me. But like the folks at the hospital were so helpful. And obviously, you know, the trio of doulas that we had were <laughs> so helpful that I feel like, I don't know, everyone was very, very supportive. Colin was very supportive with me personally taking me aside at times and just kind of calming me down about anything that I might have been feeling anxious about. Um so that was really nice. Um, and then during her transition, like I was honestly, the two things I was most freaked out about was one, like something is going to happen to my wife. Cause we had read like an article the day before that I, a woman had like passed away during birth or like right after from hemorrhaging. Oh my God. So, what not to read when like, you're in labor. <laughs> no, the front of mind. And she's because she had told me about it. She's like, so I saw this article and I had been freaking out prior to that, that that could be a thing. And, and then she, then I'm no longer freaking out about that. 
And then we go into the hospital and she's like, by the way, I saw this article. And so it like totally triggered me with all of that again. So I was freaking out about that. (laughs) And then, um, or something would happen to the baby. Um, And then I was freaked out that she was going to like throw up all over the place (laughs) or near me. And I literally have an actual phobia of of vomit. So that was very scary that I I was expecting at some point something was going to go down and I'm not supportive in those moments when when somebody's getting sick near me like i I physically cannot do it um because of the phobia stuff but like i don't know i like got over you might have actually been there helping Mm -hmm. me through it at that point um and and i quickly like that kept happening like every two minutes during transition. <laughs> so I like quickly got over that. Um, <laughs> so it's it called like, CBT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's called transition for a reason because both parents transform into new yeah. people, you but know, you came with that little bucket with the mint drops and just yeah. saved the day. Mm-hmm. And she yeah. was like, that was amazing. That was brilliant. I yep. was like, this is a life like, hack right here. By the end of it, Steph was like running to the bathroom with the bucket. She Emptying was like fully out. involved. Yeah. It's part of the process. Um, yeah. And then during the actual like delivery part, I was with my sister during her delivery with my niece. So I'm familiar with some of that. So that wasn't too scary or anything. And I was super excited to meet Irie, like her first push, the little head popped out and all this little black hair and everything. And I was like, oh, this is so exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just scared at the end, like once the whole um, placenta wouldn't come out and I noticed the, t- the room tension start to build and the folks like starting to get nervous. I was like, wait a minute, if they're starting to get nervous, maybe I should be getting nervous. And seeing my wife in pain while holding the baby was just freaking me out. And then seeing all that blood was really scary to me, but they got it under control just in the nick of time. So we were good to go. Um, and then, and then we gave Amy her Burger King. <laughs> I love it. Okay. I think I have probably two more questions before we wrap up. And one is that you like, you just dropped it out there that like Steph, you had breastfed Irie as the non caring parent. So could you just talk a little bit about like, cause I know a lot of the audience is like, wait, whoa, 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 what? I don't understand. How is that possible? Yeah. Right. So could you talk a little bit about um, breastfeeding Irie as a non caring parent? Yeah, totally. Um, so Amy was having trouble getting Irie to latch and Irie just has a terrible latch. Um, come to find out. Um, I also have terrible nipples. Yes. There's a connection there. So (laughs) like biologically, they were just both having trouble with each other. Um, And one of the, what do they call the women that come in that are the lactation came in and was like, do you have any interest in this? Do you know that like you can do this? We have this little tube thing that we can hook up where you can actually basically make the milk come down to your nipple and then the baby can drink off of your nipple formula. Um, It's formula. Yeah. Formula. Um, and or, I was like, or yeah, donated breast milk. It could be pumped breast milk from oh, right, right, Amy right. Kate or donated breast milk or formula, but you guys were using formula. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and so I feel like you were pumping either way in any event. Um, we hooked up that little device and I really like took to it, like in two seconds. Um, she literally was like, Broop. and then I was like, well, this is very strange feeling, um, for like a bunch of different reasons. Like it was, one, like I felt um, an instant connection and bond with her um, that I had never expected that I would have with a child because I'd never been like, I'm going to be the, I never thought, I didn't even know you could do this. Um, so it was never even a thing in my mind. So I just always assumed 
I would never breastfeed. So I did. And while that was happening, it was like almost this like outer body experience in connection with her. But then I instantly felt super guilty that I could do it. And it took so easily after watching Mm. Amy struggle with it for hours to the point where she was like in tears. Mm. Um, I felt really, really, really bad about the whole thing. But at the same time, like we wanted the baby to eat. Um, And we didn't want to go into the whole bottle type thing quite yet. She was so young. And um, so I just tried to do what I could to help in that situation, even though like whipping my breasts out in front of a room full of people is not the most comfortable thing for me, especially with having like body dysmorphia. I was like, well, this is not what I'm, but by the end of it, I was like, I don't care who's in the room. Like that quickly again, like same thing with like the vomit. I got, got over it very quickly and just tried to, do what was most helpful for our family. Look at all this growth stuff. I mean, it was like pretty amazing. So how long did you breastfeed for? Do you identify it as breastfeeding or chest feeding, by the way? Uh, just breastfeeding. Just breastfeeding. Um, and the tube, yeah. by the way, the tube is called an SNS. So if any mm, couples yes. are, there's a name of it, SNS. Yeah. So if yeah. any couples are interested in this, do some research on SNS. So my sister-in-law actually breastfed via SNS her grandchild, um, which oh, is wow. interesting. So like, you know, basically anyone um, can do this, right? I mean, even some male identifying parents yes. can do yeah, this too. So, so really encourage people to know that that's out there. We had no idea that it even existed. The lactation consultant just mentioned it, like Seth said, like offhand. And I would have loved to know about it ahead of time and just had some time to prepare. There's also a lot like different kind of kits you can buy. The one of the they give you in the hospital is pretty straightforward, like basic. And it's like a starter, not meant to be used over time. So mm-hmm. um, what a beautiful opportunity. It was just amazing for me. I mean, Steph felt guilty and she was worried that I was feeling like, I don't know, some kind of way that she could do it and I couldn't, but I felt absolutely nothing but like appreciation and awe. I was mm-hmm. like this, I was so happy that our daughter could still have that experience, even though I couldn't give it to her and that she was, you know, eating. Yeah. <laughs> so it was beautiful. Now, yeah, Steph, <laughs> sometimes you will start to produce milk, even as the non-caring <laughs> parent. Did that happen? Um. So... Funny enough. Um, so I did it for like a week. Um, and like an, even once the baby was home, I was still waking up with her and doing it throughout the night and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, during the day and whatnot. Um, my uterus like picked up on what was going on and I started having crazy cramping from like the, that day in the hospital when we first, she first latched and I started doing it with her, you know, every time she needed to eat, like my body knew. And then the doctors came in and they told me, they're like, you might start producing milk. And I was like, er, that's when I was like, no, 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 no. Um, okay. that's like, <laughs> that's too far. <laughs> Yeah, like I'll like I'll do this as long as we can, but we need to figure something out. Um is when they told you that you were your breast could become engorged. And because of the dysphoria, yeah. like that was a like immediate like, no, if these things are gonna get any bigger, mm-hmm. we're not going any further. And yeah. I totally understood that. So that's when Yeah. But yeah. we still did it. I mean, she came home and, and I still um, was feeding her for like a week or so until mm-hmm. and then you were also trying as well and still going through that struggle. And um, yeah, the whole feeding thing was was rough for for the first few months, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so where did you land, Amy Kate, on feeding? 
Um, I, I tried to breastfeed for about a month and then, um, she developed really bad reflux and the combination of still trying to get her to have a good latch and her being in pain was too much for both of us. So then I switched to pumping just for some relief. And then, um, we figured out that she had a dairy allergy and I just couldn't go. I am mom guilt, but I couldn't do the no dairy, no gluten, no soy thing. And so then we switched to formula. Okay. What formula worked worked for you? Yeah, it was, it was a godsend to be honest at that point. What, what, what is the brand oh. that you use? Cause people oh. are always looking for recommendations. Well, we, um, so she was on Similac Alimentum, um, for about a month and a half. And I think then she kind of started to outgrow her dairy allergy a bit. And so then just recently we were able to put her on Gentilies and female Gentilies, and that's been the best one so far. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. I'm so excited about this episode. I loved hearing all about like who you are and your love story and this like very interesting and intricate fertility journey and your birth story. But I, I, we need to end the podcast with me being angry at the injustices. Okay. So we're in North Carolina. You guys are both moms. So Steph, what does this look like legally for you in North Carolina? You guys are married. This is your child, but I, I know from these interviews that there's some extra steps. So what does it look like for you to, you know, I don't know. Um, are you going to have to adopt Irie? Yeah. Um, so on the birth certificate, I am labeled there as the second parent, which I at first didn't even know that we could do that, that that was going to, I, I thought, what are they not even going to put me in like the birth certificate or something, you know, like I'm just like this irrelevant figure or something. Um, but that wasn't the case. I'm on the birth certificate, which is nice as that second parent. And we all have to go through the, the second, uh, like second parent adoption process, um, which we haven't kicked that off yet. No, the birth right? certificate is nice, but it, it doesn't hold up. It, it's ridiculous. It doesn't yeah. really hold up legally. If we were to get divorced, like I could easily challenge it and Steph would lose. It just mm-hmm. doesn't, it doesn't, um, it just doesn't hold a lot of legal weight, unfortunately, which is just stupid. Um, it's, and that's only just been set by precedence. Like you would think like if, if in a hetero couple, like if a father's on the birth certificate, no one, you know, challenges that challenges yeah. that that's yeah. the other parent with yeah. full legal rights. And so for some reason, it just, when, when it's been brought to courts, the courts have not sided the same way with, with, um, same sex couples on the birth certificate. So we have to do a second parent adoption. It's several thousand dollars to go through that and have, um, you have to have home visits and social workers involved and everything. And so we'll be, that's probably why we haven't done it yet. Honestly, is because I don't have any plans on leaving Steph or challenging her rights. And could you do it at the same time too, since you want to have more than one child, like, could you just wait and do like, like, two for one, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like that's what was recommended to us. I can't remember who recommended that. Maybe it was even Colin. I can't remember. Um, but we had heard that like, cause you're basically going to double the fee, double the lawyer time, double all the money related to it, the whole process. So wait till you have your second one and then go through the process with both of them. Okay. Or, or I say second, but like finish, I don't know how many kids you want to have yeah. two, three, yeah. four, yeah. who knows, you know, but um, yeah, that kind of makes sense to me. Another couple that I interviewed said that like there are certain states and I think it was like Georgia that if you guys were like driving through Georgia and something were to happen to Amy Kate, like she would 
die or something that like if you hadn't gone through this second adoption thing that like Irie could literally be like taken away from you like they wouldn't give you Irie like they probably would but you know what I'm saying but like legally there are some states that could you know call Amy Kate's parents or whatever and say come get your grandchild or whatever and like leave you out of it stuff even though you're married and the parent and all that kind of stuff so I the whole thing total bullshit it is that's it we're just gonna end there Mm-hmm. total bullshit and if anyone yeah. in that listens to this podcast knows anybody make some fucking noise and do something about it yes. so yeah. that's all activate, activate. <laughs> yes that's all i gotta say today guys so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh thank you for being on the birth story podcast i love it and i really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing your story Thanks for having us, Heidi. We love you. Yes. I love you too. Thank you for being part of the Birth Story family and listening to this episode. On Tuesdays every week are doula diaries, little snippets and tidbits from my week along with some teaching and education. And then on Thursdays, we meet here for our birth stories and our expert speakers. So thank you for being here and listening to the podcast twice a week. And if you are left wanting more, like Heidi, I've listened to all the episodes, I've read your entire book, then I hope you will meet me in Birth Story Academy and let me be your online childbirth educator to prepare you for your hospital birth, no matter what that looks like. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.